Uh, well, friends, I, I don't know whether you watched the opening ceremony of the Winter Olympic Games uh, a few weeks ago. Hands up if you watched the opening ceremony. Uh, a number of us uh, watched it. Uh, it was fantastic, wasn't it? The dancing was wonderful. The music was terrific. The technology was simply extraordinary. Uh, it showcased the best that humankind has to offer. And towards the end of the ceremony, three well-known Korean singers sang a heart-stirring rendition of John Lennon's song, Imagine. It was a poignant song to sing in a place where there have been simmering tensions between the North and the South for decades. Uh, the song itself, of course, is a song that Lennon wrote out of his desire to see peace in the world. Uh, imagine all the people living life in peace, he says. Imagine all the people sharing all the world. Imagine a brotherhood of man. You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will be as one. Uh, you must be so glad I didn't sing that. Um, it's a song that resonates with us, isn't it? Uh, not only because it's a, it's a wonderful tune and melody, but because deep down we all desire peace in this world. You know, we live in a world where there have been more people who have died in war in the last hundred years than in all of human history combined. We live in a world where human greed knows no end. And yet, on the other side of the world, babies are born who only live a short while because they have no clean drinking water. We live in a world where parents are too often told that their children have been shot because there's been another massacre in a school. And we all cry out for peace. However, while we can identify with this desire for peace, peace itself is something that is so elusive, isn't it? Uh, I mean, even while John Lennon penned the words to imagine, he was a wife basher and a serial adulterer who left a trail of pain and devastation for his wives and his children. Interestingly, his son, Julian Lennon, wrote a song uh, 20 years after Imagine was written, where he says that whenever he thinks about the world, salt water wells in his eyes. Do you remember that song? Uh, it seems that even as Lennon imagined a world of peace, he could not even maintain peace in his own home. Now, friends, it's easy to desire peace in this world, but where can such a peaceful world be found? Where can you and I find this kind of humanity that is at real peace with one another? Uh, well, we've been looking at Paul's letter uh, to the Ephesians for the last little while, as was mentioned. Uh, if you remember, a few weeks ago, we looked at Paul's letter, uh, sorry, Paul's prayer in chapter 1. And in that prayer, if you remember, Paul prays that the Ephesian Christians would know the power of God in their lives, uh, God's immeasurably great power that raised Jesus from the dead. 
And uh, I want to suggest that in chapter 2, what Paul is doing here is that he's showing his Christian readers that this extraordinary power that raised Jesus from the dead is now at work in them and has been at work in them in their extraordinary conversion to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, You can see this in that there are a number of contrasts that Paul makes here. And so, for example, last week we saw uh, chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, that the Christians around Ephesus were once dead in their sins and their trespasses. But now, he says, the contrast is that they have been made alive together with Christ and have been seated with him in the heavenly places. Uh, Similarly, in today's passage, Paul says that these largely Gentile Christians or non-Jewish Christians uh, were once far away from God. But now, in contrast, they have been brought near to him. And so the first point I want you to see there is that these Gentile Christians were actually the people who were once far away from God. And uh, you can see this there in verse 11, can't you? Have a look with me at verse 11. Verse 11 says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now, uh, the really interesting thing that Paul says here is that the reason why these Gentile Christians were far away from God was because they were once far away from the Jews who were God's people. And uh, this distance was expressed in a great deal of hostility. Not only did the Gentiles hate the Jews, but the Jews hated the Gentiles with a passion. In fact, did you know that the Jewish people were instructed not even to help a Gentile mother who had gone into labor because they didn't want any part of bringing a Gentile baby into this world? They would be better off dead. You can see there in verse 11 that there was also a great deal of name-calling, particularly around the theme of circumcision. Uh, You might know that circumcision was given by God to Abraham and his descendants as an outward sign that they belong to the covenant people of God. But here, it seems as though the Jewish people were calling the Gentiles the uncircumcised, And it was a derogatory way of saying that you are not really part of God's people, you see. Uh, The irony here, of course, is that Paul simply says that there's nothing remarkable about circumcision. Uh, It's just a, a human work made in the flesh by hands. And yet the Jewish people excluded the Gentiles as though they were not part of the people of God. The point, however, is that the Gentiles were far away from God because they were far away from the people of God, the Jews, who were historically God's privileged people. Uh, You know, it was the Jewish people who had been told 
to expect the Christ or the Messiah who would one day come and rescue and save them. It was the Jewish people who belonged to the nation of Israel, who were the nation who were chosen and, uh, chosen and loved by God. It was the Jewish people who had the, the extraordinary promises of God, in particular to Abraham, that God would bless Abraham and his descendants and one day through them to bless the whole world. You see, it was the Jewish people who, who had this great hope and this extraordinary relationship with the living God himself. And so, if the Gentiles were far away from the Jews, well, they had none of these things. They did not have an expectation of the Christ. They did not belong to the people of God. They did not know the promises of God. They had no hope and no relationship with God. In the end, they were not only far away from God's people, but they were far away from God himself. And he says in this message to his Gentile hearers, you just remember just how far away you were. Just how far away you were from me because, uh, before the gospel came into your life. Uh, when I was about to propose to my wife, um, I needed to go and buy an engagement ring. Um, that's sort of what you do, isn't it? And so uh, I went to a jeweler in the city and uh, I asked him to show me some diamonds. And uh, when I stepped into the shop, um, I saw that uh, he was wearing black gloves. And uh, whenever he took a, a diamond ring, uh, he would put it on uh, this tray, which was lined with black velvet lining. Uh, why did he do that? Uh, well, it's because the, the blackness of the background accentuates the diamond, doesn't it? It actually makes the diamond uh, look more sparkling. It showcases the diamond itself. Uh, that's what I think Paul is doing here, friends. He's telling the Gentile Christians to remember just how black their past life before Christ was. They were far away from God's people, and therefore far away from God himself. And he does it so he can go on to show how brilliant the gospel is in bringing these people nearer to God. Uh, and friends, uh, our situation is no different, is it? For we are all Gentile Christians. Uh, it's important for us to keep on remembering just how far away from God and his people we really were so that we might appreciate just how brilliant the gospel really is now, our problem is that we frequently forget how far away we were and when we forget we begin to take our salvation for granted is that true we often feel entitled in our christian lives we start to grow complacent in our Christian lives. Uh, the gospel starts to lose some of its brilliance in our minds. But can you see that what Paul says to the Christians around Ephesus is that they are to remember just how far away they were. Just what a desperate situation and plight they were once in. Uh, I sometimes think to myself, how strange it is 
that a middle-aged man born in Korea who now lives in the far corners of the world in a place called Sydney without any Jewish friends can end up worshipping and following a Jewish king who I believe is my Messiah. You find that strange, how that happened? It's a strange thing, isn't it? But I suspect that if you are someone who belongs to Christ, then this is your experience as well, and it tells you something of what our distance to God once was. And so we are to continue to remind ourselves just how far away we really were. So Paul says to these Gentile Christians that they are to remember their past. They were far away from God's people and or from God himself. And yet, uh, here's the brilliant and sparkling contrast. For he says next that now you Gentile Christians who were once far away have now been brought near through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, have a look with me at verse 11. We'll pick it up from, uh, sorry, verse 13. We'll pick it up from verse 13. Uh, Paul says, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Uh, Who are the ones who have been brought near? Well, it's not just everyone, is it? But in verse 13, it is those who are in Christ and have been united to Christ by faith. And how have they been brought near? Well, again, in verse 13, it is by the blood of Christ. It is the sacrificial death of Jesus that brings you and I near. I think the key word that Paul uses here to describe this idea of being brought near uh, is the word peace. Uh, You can see it there, for example, in verse 14, where uh, he, he says, For he, that is Jesus, himself is our peace. Jesus is the one who not only brings us peace, but he is the one in whom we find peace itself. Further, you can see it again in verse 17, which says, And and he, that is Jesus, came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. Now, I think what what, uh, Paul is talking about is uh, the the preaching of the message about Jesus as uh, the disciples of Jesus uh, took the message of Jesus uh, to Jew and Gentile alike. It was a message of peace. But friends, the important thing to see here is that Jesus achieves peace on two levels. Uh, Firstly, 
notice that he achieves peace on the horizontal level. Uh, you can see it there in verse 14, where Paul says that Jesus has made us both one. He's talking about uh, the Jews and the Gentiles there. Uh, you can see it again in verse 15, where he speaks about Jesus creating in himself one new man in place of the two. In other words, what Paul is saying is that Jesus' death on the cross has achieved a real and lasting peace between these two enemies, the Jews and the Gentiles, and so has created a new humanity. You see, it is the death of Jesus that has torn down the dividing wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles. What is this wall that has been taken down by the death of Jesus? Well, in verse 15, it seems to be the Old Testament law, doesn't it? Uh, now, I don't think that this is saying that Jesus pulled down the Old Testament law so that it now has no relevance to the Christian person. For later on, he goes on to explain some of the relevance of uh, the Old Testament law to Christians. But insofar as the Old Testament law was the way for Jewish people to exclusively relate to God, well, that law has been torn down. For now, the way to relate to God is not primarily through the law, but through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and both Jew and Gentile have equal footing. Secondly, uh, Jesus achieves peace on a vertical level. Uh, you can see it there in verse 16, which speaks about Jesus reconciling both Jew and Gentile together to God through his death on the cross. Uh, you see it again in verse 18, which is about the extraordinary privilege of both Jew and Gentiles having access to the Heavenly Father through one spirit. See, the death of Jesus on the cross not only creates peace horizontally, but also vertically as well. Uh, now, friends, I wonder whether you find that a, a strange thing. Um, I think uh, what Paul says here is quite strange because even if you look around churches and Christian people who have been brought together, we frequently see divisions and conflict, don't we? Um, hands up if you've ever... Uh, experience conflict and division within the church. Um, most of us, and I think if we were honest, uh, it would be all of us to some degree. And so, uh, I think what Paul is speaking of here, when he speaks about peace being achieved by Jesus, uh, is not uh, primarily an earthly reality, but at present, it is a spiritual and heavenly reality. What Jesus has done through, through his blood shed on the cross is he has brought people who were once uh, at odds with each other and at enmity with one another, and he has brought them together as one in the heavenly places. At one day when Jesus turns, that unity that we have that spiritual and heavenly reality will be evident for all to see. But for now, those who belong to Christ 
are to grow in expressing that peace and that uh, unity with one another more and more. Uh, Whenever I read this passage, um, I'm reminded of someone who worked in our church many years ago. Uh, Some of you might remember Scotty McKenzie. Um, Scotty grew up in the bush in a small country town in New South Wales. And uh, by his own admission, um, as he was growing up, he was a very racist person, uh, especially towards Asian people. But uh, Scotty came to the University of New South Wales to study and uh, soon uh, became a Christian and uh, became so keen that he wanted to sign up for full-time Christian ministry. And so uh, the pastor at the time, uh, who knew about Scotty's racist past, in all his wisdom, suggested, why don't you go and work with the Korean group? Now, I'm sure it was hard for Scotty, uh, but because he understood and believed that Jesus brings peace um, for his people who have put their trust in him, well, he worked very hard at loving and serving people whom he hated in the past. Uh, Scotty eventually became much loved among the Koreans. Uh, We even nicknamed him Scotty McKimchi. And uh, he even married a Chinese girl. But you see, for Scotty, the spiritual or heavenly reality shaped his reality uh, in the church, which is the new humanity that Jesus is creating. Uh, Brothers and sisters, can you see that what God is saying is that the death of Jesus on the cross has made us one? Uh, There has been a profoundly deep spiritual peace that has been achieved by the death of the Lord Jesus Christ with one another. And so I wonder whether there are any walls that uh, we might put up from time to time that we might need to tear down if we understand this reality. Uh, Perhaps it might mean tearing down that wall between you and that other person whom you are in conflict with at church. Uh, Perhaps it's even your own spouse or your children. Uh, Perhaps it might mean venturing outside of our cliques and our small group of friends who we kind of put a wall around so that no one else can get in. So that we welcome other Christian brothers and sisters into our lives. Perhaps it might mean embracing that person at church who is always a little bit difficult to love. But whatever it might be, will you and I grow in expressing that peace that Jesus has achieved for us on the cross? Uh, Well, friends, uh, Paul has just said to the Gentile Christians around Ephesus that the the blood of Jesus has achieved peace not only with God, but peace with one another. Those who were far away from God and his people have been brought near. And so Paul concludes this part of Ephesians by speaking about just how privileged a position these Gentile Christians now find themselves in 
because they now belong to the church uh, or the new humanity that Jesus is creating. Uh, Let's pick it up from verse 19. Uh, If you have your Bibles there, uh, verse 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Uh, Now, you'll notice here that Paul mixes his metaphors quite a bit, uh, which he often does. But notice that he describes the church in a number of different ways. So, for example, in verse 19, uh, the church is God's kingdom because he says that the Gentile Christians have now become fellow citizens along with the saints or the Jewish Christians in this kingdom. Further, again in verse 20, the church is described there as the family of God because Paul says that the Gentile Christians have now become members of the household of God. And again, in verse 20, the church is described as a building or a temple, uh, the foundation of this temple being the apostles and prophets. Uh, You see, what Paul is saying here is that ultimately, the foundation of the church is the New Testament teaching. For it is this teaching, uh, sorry, it is the New Testament scriptures. For it is these scriptures which contain the testimony of the apostles that point to Jesus as the Christ, and it is these scriptures that contain the message that the New Testament prophets taught and preached alongside of the apostles. That's why Paul goes on to describe Christ Jesus as being the cornerstone of this building. Uh, The cornerstone uh, was the most important stone in ancient buildings because it was the stone upon which all the other stones were laid. And so if you pull out this stone, then the whole building crumbles. And so, friends, I I take it that we are not free to tamper uh, either with the foundation uh, or the cornerstone that it points to. Because to tamper with the foundation, to tamper with the truth of the New Testament scriptures will mean to bring the whole building down. Uh, But, friends, here's the point. The reason why Paul uses these metaphors to describe the church is to show just how privileged the Gentile Christians now are in being part of the church or the new humanity that God is building. They are fellow citizens in God's kingdom, and so they are not refugees. They are intimate members of God's family, and so they are not merely slaves. They are part of the temple that Jesus is building as a dwelling place for the living God himself. You see, Paul's point is that these Gentile Christians are no longer excluded. They are no longer second-class citizens 
when it comes to being part of God's people. Uh, Now again, the Jew and Gentile distinction is not really the major thing that we struggle with these days, is it? But I wonder whether sometimes you and I can think that we are second-class citizens when it comes to being part of of the church community. Uh, Is that true? For example, some of us may think that we are second-class citizens because, you know, we do not have the the kind of gifts and abilities that we see other people uh, having and exercising in church life. And so we can start to feel not very useful uh, in the life of the church. Uh, Others of us may think that we are second-class citizens because uh, we're just in a, a stage of life where we cannot really do as much ministry as what we once did, and we feel frustrated. Uh, You see, it's easy to think that we are second-class citizens, and uh, some Christians end up being so discouraged that they can leave church altogether or, or try to find a new church. But friends, can you see here that what God says is that there is no such thing as a second-class Christian when it comes to the church. If you have put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you are a citizen of God's kingdom. You are a member, an intimate member, of God's family. You are part of God's temple that he is building to dwell in. And as we will see in coming chapters... Every single one of us has an important role to play in the building up of this building that God is building. Uh, Well, friends, uh, we began this morning by imagining a world of peace, didn't we? And uh, we asked the question of where such a humanity that is at peace is to be found. Uh, The answer that God gives us this morning I think, is that it is found in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. For through his death on the cross, Jesus has brought together those who are far from one another and far from God. He has broken down in his death the walls that divide so that now Jew and Gentile, slave, free, rich, poor, male, female, can all be united under the Lord Jesus Christ in the church. Uh, This week you might have heard that the greatest evangelist of modern times, uh, Billy Graham, passed away uh, at 99 years of age to be with the Lord. Uh, Much has been written about Billy Graham, you know, advising presidents and rubbing shoulders with the rich and the influential. But Billy Graham knew that peace will not come through politics. He knew that peace would not come through well-funded programs. He knew that peace would not come through greater knowledge or education. He knew that true peace will only come through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, who brings peace with God and with one another. 
Uh, in one of his sermons, he says, we will not see peace in this world unless we first have peace with God. Uh, for Billy Graham, <laughs> peace with God and peace with one another went hand in hand. And so his work was always to preach the gospel, for he knew that it is only through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that people can have true peace, uh, peace with God and peace with one another. Do you know this peace in your life? Do you know this peace with God? And do you know this peace that we can have with one another in a way that will transform your life and my life so that we see that sort of peace in the way that we relate to one another in our families, in our relationships, in our churches? Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that in your great kindness, we who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. We thank you that the death of our Lord Jesus has destroyed the walls that once divided us so that all human distinctions, whether it be Jew or Gentile, uh, slave, uh, rich, poor, male, female, and now no barrier to being at peace with you and with one another. Now, Father, we confess that we find peace hard in this world. Uh, in our sinfulness and pride, we fight and quarrel and are often divided against one another. And yet we thank you for the great rem reminder this morning that what we couldn't achieve for ourselves, you have achieved through the cross of our Lord Jesus. Uh, we thank you that he has made us one and that this peace will be evident in the coming ages. But we also pray that you would help us to exercise the reality of this peace in the here and now. Uh, Father, if there are divisions in our church or in our families or in our relationships with one another, uh, we pray that you would heal those divisions and give us the strength to take appropriate steps to break down those walls. And we pray that you would continue to transform us as a church and that we might be the new humanity that you are creating who will enjoy peace with you and one another for all eternity. For we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.